Let me invite you to go to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12 this evening. As we continue to work our way through benchmarks of discipleship. Uh, there have been a lot of ways, different ways I've tried to frame it in my head over time, and I just chose the word benchmarks, but um, if I were if I were trying to get you to have other ways of thinking about it, you could think of perhaps like a staircase as steps up toward spiritual maturity, right? So we want to see people take the next step as they're growing in Christ that way. Or um, if you look at it in terms of from a person who is just living for him or herself to being someone who's a devoted follower of Christ, it would be, you could think almost like a pipeline, in which we would be moving people through to have them uh, ultimately be doing what Christ wants them to do. I've chosen benchmarks just as a way to try and get us to think about uh, the kinds of things that the New Testament would emphasize for a, a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Right? And we've, we're working our way through them, trusting. We've come to confess Christ as our Lord. We have a new Lord because that is tied to the new birth. We have new life and the new birth produces a new love for God and for his people. How do you know if someone's trusted in Christ? Those things would be evident in them. Belonging, identifying with Christ through baptism, identifying with his people through membership and identifying with his mission through ministry and serving, right? growing, that we actually are accepting responsibility to grow in Christ, that, that, that we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and in our particular context, uh, I've sort of stressed that a couple times when I'm doing the review, just because the, the, the focus that I'm trying to communicate is slightly different than uh, a lot of churches about what it means to grow in Christ. Uh, and, and, and I'm trying not to, uh, you know, dress it all in theological terms and discussion, uh, but f- at least since the mid-1800s, there has been an excessive amount of influence among uh, conservative Bible-believing people about approaches to spiritual growth which emphasize passivity or crisis experiences, right? So talk about getting dedicated to Christ, right? Yeah, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, but are you really, have you really dedicated your life to Christ? And, and until you dedicate your life to Christ, then you'll never grow spiritually. So there's sort of an expectation that a person goes from being lost to saved, but saved as basically as sort of a subpar standard of Christian living. Right? Even, even someone who um, has made a profound theological impact on contemporary Christianity, I mean, he's with the Lord now, so I think he's gotten this straightened out, but, but any of you have a Ryrie study Bible or heard of Charles Ryrie? Right, a long-term systematic theology teacher, Bible study proponent. 
has a book called Balancing the Christian Life in which, and this is a paraphrase because I hadn't actually planned to quote this, but it's like rumbling up here in the head. Until you experience this act of dedication, you will know nothing of the Holy Spirit's transforming power in your life. So think about that. You're saved, you're on your way to heaven, but you don't know anything of the Spirit's power and fruitfulness in your life until you come to a second kind of crisis. And what that does is sort of normalize carnal Christianity. It's an acceptable natural state for for Christians to go from being on their way to hell, now they're on their way to heaven, but they're really not growing, they're not expected to grow, they're just there. That's why uh, it's not uncommon, say if we talk about Baptist churches from a certain era, to have uh, membership roles two or three or four times larger than actually people who attend the church. Right? So, you know, all the big churches have 15,000 members and, and 3,000 people attend. There's 11,000. They have no idea where they are. But at some point, they made a profession and they got baptized. And so they were added to the church. But there's no expectation that they actually would follow Christ. Because until they get dedicated, they're not going to follow Christ. And, and, and the reality of it is, is that it produced a generation of people who thought they were saved, who in all probability never actually were because they've never actually confessed a new Lord or have received new life and have a new love in their heart. Right? They, 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 they sort of gutted conversion of any of its power. So they profess godliness, but deny the power of it, to use the language of Scripture. Or people who basically are sort of riding along, waiting for something to happen to them. Like if they finally get this dedication thing right, then they'll really take off. But until they get that right, you know, they're just going to sort of meander along spiritually. And and they they don't understand what the New Testament teaches about what we call in formal terms progressive sanctification, where you are, in fact, responding to the truth of God and your growth is something that is making progress day by day as you are working out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, so you accept responsibility for it. You utilize the resources that God has given and you recognize that real growth is actually going to be at times a, a, a growth downward in repentance, right? That you're actually becoming more aware of sin and more sensitive to it. Therefore, you're accessing the resources of God's grace. To grow up spiritually is not to become indifferent to sin. It's actually to become quite aware of it so that we are running to Christ, like we sang about tonight. That, that we have a gracious God who has said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. 
And that verse 9 sits in the context of people denying their sinfulness. Right? The life of a, the life of a growing Christian is constantly recognizing the grace of God to cleanse me from my sin. And so I want to remove the things that are not like Christ, replace them with Christ-likeness, and be renewed in my mind. Last Sunday night, we started serve, serving, right? Trusting, belonging, growing, serving. And uh, the source of this aspect or development of it is the love of Christ. The, the authenticating mark of our discipleship is that we love one another like Christ loved us. And, and so we need to think about it that way, right? So, so the heart of the matter is our love for God and our love for his people. And, and, and the, I finished the sermon by trying to make sure that you understood that it was not a sermon just saying, get busy, get busy, get busy. It was actually a sermon that was saying, love Christ, love his people, and you know what will happen? It'll produce service. Right? So, so don't, don't uh, and, and unless you understand that dynamic, then sometimes you can think the Christian life is the proverbial uh, gerbil on the wheel. It's a gerbil, right? Hamster. There we go. All right, I'm looking down like gerbils are something like that, aren't they? My wife killed a bunch of them, and of course, no, they died. Hers died. That's all. I'm not sorry. She didn't kill them. I stand. I got to make sure I get that correct. So you can think the Christian life is just like the hamster on the wheel. Just keep running, 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 running. You're tired? Yeah, run some more, run some more, run some more. Okay, and that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about cultivating a love for God that will then go out of your heart toward other people, which will move you to serve them, because that's what Christ did. He went to the cross because he loved his Father. Right? His whole mission was a display of love. He came into the world because God loves us, because he loves us, and and that love flowed over to service for our benefit. So, So we have to make certain that it's coming out of that. Our walk with God precedes our work for God. And, and, and often we end up finding ourselves uh, sort of burned out spiritually because we, we ignore that. We think if we're busy for Jesus, that that's the most important thing. And the most important thing is actually walking with him. Because when we're walking with him, then the work for him is going to flow right out of it. Right? Because I'm not pitting them against each other. I'm just prioritizing them. If you say you're walking with Jesus and it's never translating into love for his body and service to his body, then I would suggest that you're misunderstanding something. Right? Because if you love, you will serve. Right? And, and so this is the source where we have to focus in on it. Tonight I'd like to talk and, and I'm, I, 
And this is, a, like all of this in some ways, hopefully is a review. It's not all brand new stuff, but, but I'm doing what uh, Paul did, reminding, and Peter did, reminding. So we're reminding tonight of the, what I called the substance of our service, which is the use of our gifts that are given to us by God. Look at Romans chapter 12. I'll read verses 3 through 8. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. All right, so so, uh, I think I've said this before, but... It is actually sort of a profound thought to me when it hit me. Um, the book of Romans is 11 chapters of what we might say theology. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that present yourselves a living sacrifice. The first thing he talks about is life in the body of Christ. Right? The very first thing he talks about being a living sacrifice is actually your service inside of the body of Christ. The book of Ephesians is six chapters, the way we have it. First three chapters are all indicative about what God has done for us. No commands in the first three chapters. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Wherefore, right, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling that you've received. And you know what the first thing Paul addresses in Ephesians chapter 4? Life in the body. I mean, that's, that's how important this issue is. The very first thing Paul addresses when he is writing to disciple and shape the thinking of these two groups of believers after having reminded them of all that God has done for them is to say, so here's, here's where you need to focus. Right? This is what it means to live like a living sacrifice in the body. Here's what it means to walk worthy of the call you've received. Exercise your gifts within the body. So, so when we think about serving, we, we could have a million ways to serve, right? I mean, there, there really is almost an unlimited in terms of what the actual expression of that service is, almost an unlimited opportunity to serve. The core of it, though, for every believer should be the thing which God has designed you to do for the good of his body. Right? It's, it shouldn't become, well, just I'm running around doing everything to the exclusion of the thing that God designed you to do. Uh, you might have to do a bunch of stuff. 
but it should be supplementing the very thing that Christ gave you to do for him, the part he wants you to play for him, all right? And, and so I'm going to just remind us again from this text, and I'll probably draw in some others uh, to try and stress the point, but let's just walk through it pretty quickly. Verses 4 and 5 talk about the importance of spiritual gifts, and that is a body, verse 4, needs diversity to function. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. Okay, so so the body needs diversity to function. This is the same concept that Paul writes to the Corinthians about when he says, uses eyes and hands and feet, ears, right? He's trying to get God's people to understand that there is diversity in the body of gifts because a body needs diversity to function well. Right? That, that that's, um, you know, that that's a part of what it means. I just had this like dad joke pop through my head. I saw the other day, right? A, a kid got his arms and legs amputated on the left side and the doctor said he's going to be all right. And, and obviously he's not going to be all right. Uh, and the point would be if you don't have what you need to function properly, we would look at that as a sign of ill health. And at times, though, churches want to be all right. I want everybody to be just like me. Instead of actually the function of the body being helped by the diversity of the gifts that God has intended. But notice also verse 5, the body needs unity of purpose. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So you can't emphasize the diversity of function so much that it starts to fragment the unity. And this is, this is, um, I mean, this is uh, often a problem in churches, right? I, I, I do this every year in the first, the first class of seminary. I teach one on philosophy of ministry. And at some point I will draw a church right? A little box with roof and a cross on the top. And I'll say, here's the problem in a lot of churches. And I'll start to draw little small circles inside of it of the things that have gotten people to come to that church or why they're in that church, right? Sometimes it's like family or this ministry or this thing. And people are committed to that little thing. They're not committed to the church. Right? They're, a, they're a, a collection of special interest groups. And that's what can happen when it comes down to this issue of gifting as well. It's like, well, like this is the most important thing we're doing because all the people with these gifts are devoted to that. And, and they're wanting to do that, either exercise that gift or hang with that kind of people and they're not recognizing that the big thing is actually the body, right? There is diversity, but it's diversity is a part of the body. And the gifts help us see both the diversity and the unity. The unity is to accomplish the function of a body. Not everything's an eye, not everything's an ear, so that the body can function well. 
Not just so you can say, well, I've got an eye and I've got an ear and I've got a hand and I've got a foot. It's not for the purpose of the part, it's for the purpose of the body. And that's, that's what this text and other texts are emphasizing. Notice the phrase in verse 6, right, that, that the distribution of these gifts are described in verse 6, since we have gifts that, that differ according to the grace given to us. So these gifts are, are called gifts because they're graces that have been bestowed by God. Right? And, and, uh, they're, they're something that is the Spirit's work, uh, therefore is either bestowed or energized at the point where the Spirit comes to dwell in you. So, let me put it this way. No lost person has a spiritual gift. They have gifts. Because what do they have that they did not receive? Right? If, if they have a talent, that talent is actually sourced in God's kindness to them in his common grace. But them using that talent is not the exercise of a spiritual gift because they do not have the presence of the Spirit, right? There's lots of people who can teach stuff, right? I mean, this world is full of people who can teach. That's not the same as having the spiritual gift of teaching, a kind of teaching that the Spirit of God uses to transform people, right? There's there's something that is not completely explainable because it's a dimension of the Spirit's work, but the reality of it is something has happened in the life of a believer in connection with the presence of the Spirit, because the gifts are called in 1 Corinthians 12, a manifestation of the Spirit, right? It's a, it's a manifestation of the Spirit's presence and work. And that's not true of a lost person. Right? So there's something unique, distinct about the spiritual gifts because they're tied to the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. He brings those graces into our lives. And that's important to get. Lord willing, in two weeks, we'll look at that uh, on Sunday night. So, so this is something that is tied to the presence of the Spirit and His work in our lives. Now, what I want to make sure is that we, 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 we fit comfortably between these poles, all right? Every believer has a gift of the Spirit. But that doesn't mean that you just get that one and that's it. Because the scriptures say, seek the greater gifts. So I am not comfortable saying, like, when I got saved, I got my gift, and that's just it. Right? So there is, there seems to be some dynamic by which the Spirit might, in fact, empower you for some other elements of service as well. Right? Because you're supposed to be walking with the Lord. And, and growing in grace 
and he may choose to move you into places of ministry and equip you for that because it's a dynamic thing, not a static thing. Okay, and, and that's important to recognize. When you talk about what the spiritual gifts are, I think what we have to do is simply reduce it to a sort of a general statement. And that's something like this, that they're special abilities used for spiritual purposes. Right? They're to benefit the church, and they're given by God as special abilities. They're given by God through the Spirit to every believer in the body of Christ according to his design for the good of the body. I mean, if I was going to give you like a big, long technical definition, which I have in the past, but it's that way, right? So, so it's some, some ability to be used for spiritual purposes, right? Because it's from God by the Spirit for the good of the body, right? And, and, and we have a series of texts that would talk about that, right? The gifts were given for the common good. They were, that's 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11. They were given for edification, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 10. They're used to be employed in serving one another, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. So the key here is that there's something, every believer, right? You, if you come to know Christ, you are placed into the body of Christ by the ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit is within you, and you have received some special ability to be used for spiritual purposes for the building up of the body of believers. Now, one of the things that, that you can run into is uh, people in there are like, okay, so let's create a spiritualized Taylor Johnson temperament analysis test. Like, so I can just take this test. Okay, here's my gift, right? We like to reduce it to that. But the problem is, is the New Testament doesn't allow us to do that. It, it has multiple different lists of gifts. None of the gifts are the same. So what we should take that to be is these are sort of representative lists. The, the, the process was never self-focused so that I've got to go through some tasks so that I can find out what gift I've got. It actually is always others-oriented. And as you pursue serving Christ, the Spirit is going to use you. Okay, so that's the focal point on it, right? It's to move outward toward that. So when you talk about identifying your spiritual gift, Here's what I'd say is it's, it's like all things tied to the ministry of the Spirit, and that is there's some mystery. John chapter 3, uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, being born of the Spirit, and, and he makes a statement uh, about the wind blowing, and you see the evidence of it, right? But you can't see the wind. Now, the primary application of that is about actually who's born again, right? He says, so is everyone who's born again, right? But the point is that the work of the Spirit will produce effects, but you can't always peg it down. It's not, it's not like it's a mathematic equation. So, so that's, that can be the frustrating part, but I don't think it should be frustrating for us 
because we always operate within the scriptures. Whatever the spirit does, he does within the boundaries of the scriptures. So here's the things that I would say for you to be thinking about, right? Where, what, I should say, what desires for service is God working into your heart? Philippians 2.13, for God is at work to want and work for what pleases him. Right, so, so as you're getting busy serving Christ, what desires to serve Christ are being stirred up in your heart? Right, that's not, that's not a, um, that's not the final word on it, because for instance, 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about a man desiring the office of overseer. He desires a good work, but then you know what follows that verse? A list of qualifications. Because not everyone who desires to be a pastor actually is qualified to be a pastor. So, so desire isn't the final answer, but it is an important component because when you come to 1 Peter, you find someone serving as a pastor and they're supposed to do so willingly, right? Not under compulsion. So, so the desire that's mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, is supposed to be present, but it's not the definitive thing. Same thing would be true in your life, right? So like if you, you know, if you walked up to me and said, I have a desire to preach next Sunday morning, I'd say, well, that's nice. I wouldn't say, sure, preach. Right? I'd start to ask you, so why do you have, why, why do you have that desire? What's going on in your heart? And, and if, if that's because you have a desire for the ministry of the word, then we would try to help you and cultivate that. That wouldn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do in the exact expression of it. Right? And, and so there's a difference in it. But, but you should be asking, I mean, what, what desire is God putting in my heart to be a benefit to the body of Christ? And if you say, well, I don't have any, then I just would say to you, um, maybe you need to open your eyes and look around and see how much needs to be done for Jesus. Right? And I'd say that I'd say Nehemiah would be a good example. Right? Nehemiah is, is in exile. He's burdened about the city of Jerusalem. And so someone comes back from Jerusalem and Nehemiah starts asking questions. Right? And then so he's hearing about the need, and then he starts praying about that. Right? He starts pouring out his heart before God, claiming the promises in the Pentateuch about what God would do for his people if they, if they responded to him. So he starts praying, and you know, all of a sudden, the king looks at him and goes, what's, this is paraphrase, right? What's going on with you? He can tell that he's burdened. And because he's been praying and thinking about it, he says, how can I be uh, in a good state, so to speak, when, when my city's torn down? So what can I do for you? All of a sudden, Nehemiah says, well, here's what I like to do. All you, come all the way to chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 12. Nehemiah does a survey trip around the city, and then come these words in the text of Scripture. Neither told I anyone 
what God had put it in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Right? Nehemiah was aware of opportunities. He made himself available, and God worked through that to put in his heart something to do for the thing that mattered to God, the city he had chosen. Okay, and what I'm saying is, is if we don't have a desire for something to do for Christ, it's probably we're not looking around at what matters to Jesus and thinking, boy, somebody ought to do something. Somebody ought to move, right? We, we get, just like with the growth thing, we get too passive. We're waiting for, we're just waiting. Somebody, somebody come and tell me what to do. Somebody, somebody give me a job. Somebody give me a title. Give me a position. Instead of just having eyes to see what Jesus is doing for the good of his body and what he might want you to do, and he moves you through that desire. Because he's at work in you to want and to work for what pleases him. So what, what godly desires? I, I closed this morning with a text where Paul prays for the Thessalonians that God would fulfill every desire for goodness and, and every resolve for a work of faith. Right, God will work in you. You can trust him on that. Where do you see the Spirit producing fruit through your life? Because the, the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good, then, then here's what you can, I think, trust God to do. As you begin to serve him, he's going to use the gifts you have. So where you see those gifts starting to bear fruit, that's like a, aha, <laughs> Right? This, this is what God made me to do. He's given me this gift, and that gift is beginning to benefit God's people. Where have others in the assembly or the body or the leadership affirmed your gifts? Right? Where, where have they seen what you've done and have said, thank you for ministering to me? what you did, what you said, how you served, right? Where, where are you seeing that affirmed? Because if the body is benefiting from it and, and letting you know that they're being benefited from it, then that's probably where God's, that's probably where God wants you to zero in, right? It's not, it's, it's, it's not going to be, like you sit down, answer these 20 questions, and then you'll find out where the little niche is. And then you just sit there until the niche opens up and then you do it. Right? That's, we want to make it manageable. We want to make it predictable. We want to make it convenient. And you know what God wants to do? He wants to move. And he's not always predictable. Service is not always convenient. It's really not always manageable. It's, it's really supposed to be dynamic that the Spirit of God is at work in us and through us in that way. And so it should be that we're having some sense of what God's doing in our lives 
to accomplish his purpose through us. Okay? And, and, and here's the last thing I'd, I'd zero in on for us tonight. All right. Look at, look at verse six through eight. And what I would say is it's, it's a stewardship that's been entrusted to us. All right. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Then there's, a, a sampling of the kinds of gifts. Paul's not making an exhaustive list here because he lists gifts in other places that aren't included here and some here he doesn't include somewhere else. He's simply trying to give us an illustration, right? So, so if you've got a gift of prophecy, then do this. If it's service, do this. If it's teaching, do this. If it's leading, do this. And But all of them are set up in such a way that it's calling us to care and diligence in doing. Because Paul, like Peter, sees these as a stewardship. Right? Since you have been given a gift, exercise it. Peter says it this way, as each of you have received the gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Right? You know, a steward was someone entrusted with property by an owner. If, if uh, we've had this in our congregation because we have people from our congregation who get, get sent overseas by us to be missionaries and, and sometimes they've owned property or they have other things or they, they basically have somebody become, uh, the, the steward on their behalf to take care of property or take care of legal documents or sign stuff. All right, so let's say, you know, they head overseas and you're the steward and you sell their house without them knowing, right? Or you let it fall apart, right? You would be being a poor steward of what had been entrusted to you. So, so this is really the thing and why it's so important as a benchmark of discipleship. At some point, every one of us, first, second Corinthians chapter five says, are going to give an account of ourselves to the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. And, and that's not going to be like, like a, you know, big screen that this is your life and every sin you've committed is flashed on the screen, right? That's, that's not what's going on there. It's not, it's not any, not any kind of judgment of sin. It's an assessment of service. Right? Because because here's, here's I mean, I'll just take mine, right? I'm under the impression, based on desires of my heart and benefit to God's people and affirmation by God's people, right? The things I just told you about, I just walked through. Desire of my heart, benefit that has happened to God's people, common good, and affirmation by the body of those gifts that, that I have a gift of teaching. Right? At some point, I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account for the use of that gift. Right? That's, that's one reason why I try to be very careful to only say what he has said. Right? I want to stick to what he said, preach the word. Because 
I could probably, I mean, I'm not terribly creative, but, but I think I could probably, uh, you know, draw all kinds of people with all kinds of interesting stuff. Right? I could tickle the ears of people. I could do that. The Bible warns about that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Right? It's possible that you could fill a church up with goats who want to hear funny stories, self-fulfillment stuff, all kinds of things. And you know what could happen? Like you could have a big growing ministry step up to the beam of seed of Christ and 1 Corinthians 3 would say, it all goes into the fire and goes up in smoke. Okay, it looked good, but it was wood, hay, and stubble. It wasn't gold, silver, and precious stones. And I, here's what I'm telling you, okay? That's what matters to me. Someday I'm going to answer to Jesus. He's going to assess my service. Is it going to pass the fire test? Is it going to actually be what he entrusted me with? And here's the same thing for you. I'm, I'm telling you on the basis of the authority of God's word, there is something that Jesus has entrusted to you as a stewardship. As each has received the gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There's coming a day, friend, where you're going to stand before Jesus too. And he is going to have an assessment of what you did with what he entrusted to you. And in fact, he was so clear about this, he told parables about it. People who received talents and, 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 and were supposed to maximize those for his advantage. And one of those guys took it and wrapped it in a napkin and buried it. Instead of being a good steward of it, they buried it. And the master wasn't pleased. I, what, what I desperately want for myself and I desperately want for every one of you as members of our assembly is for you to stand before Jesus one day have what you've done for him as the fruit of his grace to you right he's given you grace the fruit of that grace I want you to be able to lay that in front of Jesus and have it pass the test and have you here well done, good and faithful servant. Because it doesn't matter if anybody else sees it. It doesn't matter how much this world might approve or not approve. The thing that's going to matter one day is when you see Jesus and he says, well done, well done. That's what should be in our hearts. Because that day is coming. Right? For some of us, it's a lot closer than we started on this thing. But for every one of us, it's coming. Right? Well done. That should be the heart 
that we long to hear that because we love Jesus and we want to use the gifts he's given to us to serve, to serve for the good of others and the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, please help us to realize that that the path of our Savior was one that picked up a towel and washed feet, that sacrificed himself, that served, and that his will for his people is to follow him. The health of the body depends on it. The, the, the function of, of the body is dependent on the full exercise of the gifts entrusted to us. So, Lord, give us a heart for that. Give us a, uh, a sensitivity to where you're at work in our lives. Give us a, a sensitivity to where needs are that need to be met. And as we step out to meet those needs, might you bear fruit that helps us to see what part, so to speak, of the, of the vineyard you want us to be involved in, where in the body we are to function. Lord, help us not to think that we ever outlive this. As long as we have breath, there's some task for us to do for you. Lord, I pray that we might not postpone it, that we might, might not buy into what the world tells us about pouring our lives into all this other stuff and one day getting serious about serving Christ. Help us to recognize that, that we are now stewards and we need to be faithful because that's what you expect of stewards. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.